to Uncommon Democracy, a podcast shining light on the unique stories of everyday people who have a positive impact on their communities. Here is your host of Uncommon Democracy, Philip Oroka. Globalization and the movement of jobs from the industrial Midwest to low-wage countries such as Mexico or China has been occurring for the past 30 to 35 years. Northeast Ohio, and more specifically the Mahoney Valley, have seen its share of manufacturing jobs leave the area, and most recently, a General Motors plant, once employing 15,000 workers, closed in 2019. Independent filmmaker Carl Chris is chronicling the plight of those workers who've lost their jobs in a new film set to release later this summer. His feature titled Bring It Home follows the Davis family, as well as other families who were laid off at a time when General Motors had recently reported record profits in 2017. We'll also discuss why Northeast Ohio residents overwhelmingly voted for Barack Obama twice in 2008 and 2012, and then swung heavily to Donald Trump in 2016. Carl, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Uncommon Democracy. Uh, I'm just I'm super excited to to sit down with you today. Um, you know, you are an independent filmmaker on top of your everyday job as a, uh, a photojournalist and film editor outside Cleveland. But, um, you know, we're going to be talking about a film called Bring It Home that you're producing. Um, and I think it's a very important film uh, for really the entire country to to see and understand as, you know, talks a lot about the economic impacts uh, felt in the kind of Northeast Ohio area. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the film. Uh, wh- what's it about? Uh, and how did you come to uh, make the film? Yeah, definitely. Um, Phil, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. So it's good talking with you. Um, so, so, yeah, so uh, Bring It Home is about um, how the closing of the General Motors plant uh, in Lordstown impacted families uh, in the community. And it's from the perspective of families that had to make a very difficult decision of um, when uh, when the plant was uh, when GM first announced they were going to uh, they first announced they were going to unallocate the plant, so not actually close the plant, but unallocate it, which meant that uh, during contract negotiations they made this decision. They announced this in December 2018, uh, and what that meant was that in 2019, uh, so in July 15th, go with their dad or if they were going to stay. Um, and uh, the reason they stay, would stay is because, you know, kind of hedge your bets, see if a product will come back to Lordstown. Um, and also the, the wife, Tiffany, uh, Tiffany Davis, who I, I was following the film, uh, was a teacher. And so a lot of the spouses, you know, they had jobs there and these were two income houses. So it was very hard to uh, lose, you know, to, to follow someone else's job and lose half of your uh, family's income. So the, the deci- this decision really split families apart and the film follows the families that are impacted by a decision and, and the effect that it has on them emotionally. Um, and uh, I really wanted to capture that because I think a lot of times when people talk about the Midwest, they talk about these blue collar towns, they always um, focus on the politics and they don't really uh, focus enough on the people and uh, what that what this experience is like for them, the uh, difficult decisions they have to make, the anxiety that you have, not knowing what's going to happen, 
Um, and sort of the, the very difficult situation, the uh, situations that corporations put families under, the, the stress that corporations put these blue collar families in, uh, who just don't have that much power because they, I mean, they, you know, they have their unions, but their unions are, a lot of the unions are falling apart or the corporations have been at war with these unions for a long time and tried to do everything they can to weaken them. So, um, and so that, that, that's what the film was about. And what uh, brought me to Ohio was, um, Ohio to me always felt like home. Uh, I went to college in Ohio. I worked on the Obama campaign in Ohio. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so I'm, you know, from the Midwest. And um, it, Ohio always felt like home, but I, I moved around a lot after college. I, I kind of, you know, chased wherever the best, you know, career opportunity was. It was difficult because it was during the recession. So um, I just kind of scrapped and, you know, I lived in New York. I lived in D.C. I lived in uh, North Carolina and then I lived in L.A. for five years. And, um, and then Trump won in, in the, you know, 2016 election. And I really felt kind of... Um, uh, didn't have much of a sense of community in LA, um, and I kind of I missed home, you know. And I was also kind of wondering like what happened in the 2016 election, you know. I I spent my early 20s uh, working on two campaign cycles for Obama in 08 and 2012, and I knew that all of that was going to be erased. Everything Obama did was going to be erased. And 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 what was interesting was that uh, the people that really you know put Trump across the finish line were people that voted for Obama. I mean, they voted for Obama twice and then they voted for Trump. And I was reading all these articles in the New York Times and Washington Post about, you know, these Obama-Trump voters and, uh, and a lot of them were in Ohio. Uh, and so I decided, you know, I just finished working on a TV show. Uh, so I, I, I mean, so I had some time and I decided to literally get in my car and drive to Ohio uh, to make a documentary. Um, I wasn't sure, like, really what the story would be yet, but I wanted to meet people who had crossed over because I wanted to try to understand when I, you know, when I, uh, Mahoney Valley had the highest number of people vote twice for Obama and then Trump in the state of Ohio, I think maybe even the country. So, um, and in the Valley, it, it was about like a 30% swing. Uh, you know, Youngstown, I think was like 28% and Trumbull County might've been closer to like 30 or yeah, around that. So huge, huge swing from, from Trump to, uh, uh, from Obama to, to Trump. And uh, the more I talk to people, um, it, it, the reason for them, a lot of people switching seemed to be less about politics and just more about the history of the area. It had been hit so hard by deindustrialization all the way back from the um, late 70s when the steel industry collapsed. Youngstown know, was ground zero for, for deindustrialization in the late 70s with uh, the first Black Monday is, is what they call it. And that's when Youngstown Sheet and Two, this huge steel mill, um, laid off 5,000 people in one day. And that led to about 50,000 people losing their jobs in about a year. Um, and so the area was completely, was very, very much impacted by uh, the collapse of the steel industry. And then that spread throughout the Midwest. And um, throughout that time, from the late 70s all the way up to 2016, they had a lot of politicians that would come by, that would come to Youngstown, go to the steel mills, say that, you know, like they're going to they're going to find a way to reopen the steel mills. And, you know, both Democrats and Republicans had made a lot of promises uh, to the Valley and, and uh, let them down. Um, if anything, you know, Michael Clinton, who uh, helped sign NAFTA, which was also the Republican Party, too, started with Bush. Um, but, you know, they, they, this was a community that really had seen government fail them fail their community uh, and promise over and over again that they were going to do something to help them 
and then sell out to lobbyists. So um, this area was just, you know, a lot of the people who crossed over were just frustrated, very frustrated with the system. And um, during that time, uh, when I was meeting people and learning about the history of the Valley, um, GM announced that they were uh, going to close their Lordstown plant. Uh, and I knew that this would kind of be like, uh, I don't want, like, I just knew it would be a heavy, heavy blow to the Valley. And a lot of people called it the, the second Black Monday because the auto industry was, after the steel industry collapsed in Youngstown, uh, the auto industry was really kind of the glue that, like, kept the community together. But uh, instead of focusing on the politics and you know, people voting for Obama and then Trump, I decided to focus on the people and to focus on families because I think that that really, you know, when I try to describe what, how globalization impacts communities like the Valley, you know, it's very difficult to say it with words. Um, but it's really something you have to see for yourself and uh, experience the feeling of what it's like to lose, to see people you love have to move away, uh, to see, you know, your dad have to, you know, move across country for a job, for, um, people leave their grandparents behind to see a community get uh, resources completely depleted, schools shut down, uh, diners close, you know, and then crime comes in and all that. Like, and so that's why I decided for this film to uh, really focus on families uh, and, and what this experience was like for them. Yeah. And, you know, what, one of the things that you had uh, sent to me prior to us sitting down today uh, was a, New York Times article that was uh, just over a year ago, and you know one of the the um, uh, the the author of the article uh, focuses on uh, one of the families that you also came to know. Uh, Rick Marsh was the uh, primary person detailed in in this New York Times article, and one of the themes in the article really talks about the dignity of work, and you know his. Um, his daughter, unfortunately, was born with uh, cerebral palsy, and you know he's a very proud man. He's taken care of his family. He's built his uh, own home, and after 25 years, his job just gets is is uh, has is uh, gone. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know first of all just like the dignity of work and how important that is in society today? But then secondly, I'm hoping you can put some, you know, whether it's financial numbers or some concrete numbers behind, you know, what, what does this plant closure really mean to the economic future of the uh, Mahoney Valley? Uh, and, you know, how many uh, people are we talking about from when the plant was at its peak to uh, what it was like when they uh, when it was closed in 2019? Yeah, he was placed in a really difficult situation like a lot of these other families, except for him, it was even more difficult in some ways because his daughter had special needs. And uh, him and his wife had really set up positive like support structure for their daughter at Lordstown schools. And that's really difficult to do uh, if your kid has cerebral palsy. And, and um, you know, and, and that's one of those things It's like hard to describe. I mean, the sense of community that uh, his daughter um you know, received it, it, it like that takes years and years to uh, develop, and and uh, all of that if they moved um, would just evaporate, and they'd have to start all over again. Um, it's not easy, and I think that uh, 
I think like, you know, for Rick, like you just said, like, um, you know, work is, uh, so it's, these are the people that make our cars, you know, uh, they, they're, they're the people that, you know, work with their hands. They like working with their hands more than, you know, being in front of a computer. Um, and, and nobody really gives credit to the workers anymore or as much as we, we used to. And I think that's because we've all really grown apart. You know, we're all kind of, uh, with the knowledge economy, more people are working less with their hands and what, what makes America so exceptional is the workers, you know, it's the people that do the work on the ground. And, and uh, I think we've forgotten. Um, and instead, a lot of CEOs, you know, have, have found ways to just kind of uh, treat, not treat workers well, ship jobs to Mexico. And, you know, most of all, though, I think that um, a lot of people that work in manufacturing are kind of wondering where do they fit in? to this globalized world, you know? Um, do they even matter anymore? Uh, and the way that, you know, companies like General Motors treat their employees, they go out of their way to try to make them feel like they don't matter and, you know, by shipping jobs overseas and paying people in Mexico like $1.90, whereas somebody like Rick made $30 an hour, you know, and, and finding new ways to marginalize workers um, so that they can improve their bottom line. And so I, I think that, it's hard. It's hard if you, you know, work in one of these factories and you feel like nobody's looking out for you and, and nobody cares. And uh, um, I think with this film, I was trying to bridge that gap a little bit, I guess, hopefully try to create a bridge so that people who are a part of this more like knowledge economy or live on the coast can understand people like Rick as a human being, you know, and get to know him and, and, and start to care. Because I, I think if we don't care about people who are um, in the middle class and, you know, blue collar workers. I, I think we, we end up getting divided uh, when, when we should, uh, you know, the struggle that Rick is going through is the same struggle that I'm going through and a lot of other people are going through who um, are in, even in the gig economy or knowledge economy because um, we uh, don't, uh, there's nobody, you know, the people on the top are really just kind of calling the shots, you know? And so I think that we, we have the first step to trying to, um, I think try to bring our country together is that we have to care about people. And, uh, and we have to care about people who are different than us. And I think a lot of times the blue collar worker is totally forgotten. Uh, and we tend to think that, you know, they, they get characterized a lot and, and uh, nobody really tries to understand their story and what they've been through. So I, with this film, I was, trying to do that, just trying to get people to meet someone who, who, who's from the middle class or blue collar and hear their story. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's also very important for context to understand that uh, this plant was closed uh, at the same time that GM had reported uh, record profits, I believe, in 2017. And, you know, the plant really started to slow down before that, where, you know, the third shift uh, I believe closed in 2016. The second shift, I think, was was about a year or two past that. Uh, and then the, the first shift ended up closing in 2019. So, you know, we're also talking about a situation where General Motors is very, very profitable. Uh, and as many of us already know, uh, the government had to step in in 2008 to, to save uh, GM. 
And so, you know, I would imagine there's got to be a lot of pent up frustration, a lot of anger and loss of hope. And where I'd like to to have you kind of talk about next is, you know, with that loss of hope, because these these families, these people in that Northeast Ohio corridor, you know, they voted for Democrats. They voted for Republicans. And over the last 30 to 40 years, you know, their jobs, their livelihoods have really been upended with both parties. Um, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, is there a loss of hope? Is there truly a loss of hope in this area of Ohio? Or, you know, are people still seeing some way to be hopeful for the future? I wouldn't say a loss of hope. I mean, you have to remember that, I mean, they voted for like hope and change, you know, um, when you go to the Valley, it feels like a very hopeful place. Um, I think that there is a lot of anger politicians, you know, they do not like politicians. They really don't like lobbyists. Um, and rightfully so, uh, after what's happened to their community. Um, and, uh, uh, but I think that it's a, it's a place that, um, is, is kind of looking for change, you know? Uh, and, uh, I think it was one of the reasons why so many people were willing to talk to me. They're hoping that people will still, will understand what they've been through and do something about it. Um, and, uh, but I also think that there's a lot of confusion and there's, who, like, who's doing this to us, I think is what a lot of people in the Valley are wondering, you know, and, and places like General Motors make it even more confusing for them because like with this decision, it was just so unclear, intentionally unclear what they were going to do. Cause they, I think they wanted, I mean, it, it seemed like they wanted to put these families through hell so that some of them might retire some of them might quit. Some of them might lose their pension. Um, and and uh, I think that, you know, that they're rightfully frustrated about that. You know, all these uh, companies, you know, coming into their community and, and just being reckless. Um, so, but through all that, I think that they're, you know, so hopeful that things can turn around. It's, it's it, The Valley to me is a place of hope. When it comes to politics, you know, they're always willing to listen because from their, their perspective, things can only get better. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, uh, we're always looking for a chance. And, uh, and I think that, um, it's important to understand their history, what they've been through their, and, and try to understand their language and communicate in a way. I think a lot of people before 2016, we're like, let's just, you know, everyone from the Rust Belt, like, they should just die or, like, move or just go away, go to a big city. Like, so, you know, and 2016 was a, a reminder. You cannot forget about these communities because, like, people, home is home. People love and and some people can't move. Everyone has their own reason. You know, Rick Marsh and his daughter with Sarah Palsy and the community, you know, everybody has their own reason for not being able to move, whether it's economic, whether it's, uh, you know, the emotional support of having your family um, and unless we understand that and learn to communicate with people that live in a lot of these blue collar communities that have been left behind, I think things are just going to get worse politically because they're just going to become more and more desperate and looking for somebody to shake up the system, you know, uh, whether, you know, Obama, they thought was going to shake up the system. And I think they might've felt like he didn't shake it up enough. And then, uh, with Trump, you know, that was like, whoa. Uh, so I really think we have to listen and understand the people in the Valley are always looking for change. And, and uh, question is who, who's going to connect with them and, 
and can and and not just connect and speak their language, but actually bring change. So, Carl, one of the one of the dynamics that's very interesting uh, in play right now is the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement, and you know that largely moved jobs overseas because of the free flow of of capital now, and. I think it's been a net positive for somebody like myself who lives in a pretty wealthy community. I have access to buy very cheap goods uh, because labor costs have come way down. But these communities that you're covering, uh, you know, there's really been a, a hugely negative impact. And it's not just economic, it's psychological. Um, and, you know, it's made... Uh, it's made maintaining a middle-class lifestyle very, very difficult. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how people in the Mahoney Valley feel about NAFTA. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when you look at the 2016 election, the states that crossed over, the blue wall is what they used to call it, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, those were all places that were hit the hardest by NAFTA. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that it, like you said, I mean, it's, it, NAFTA has made some items cheaper to buy, but it's also led to, um, many jobs, uh, going overseas where, uh, people can work and get paid a lot less. Um, and, and those jobs used to be here. And so, um, I think that's led to a, a lot of frustration in those areas. And, and I don't think you understand unless you're there. I didn't understand, you know, unless you see it happening, unless you see somebody get laid off. So that that's literally a thousand five hundred people getting laid. and those jobs like, I don't know, maybe over like two thousand jobs going to Mexico and they're literally going to get paid a dollar and ninety cents. And I think that that's been happening over the years. Um, but if you're unless you're in one of these communities, unless you know someone who got laid off and then, uh, you know, there's a job in Mexico for someone with, where they pay them a lot less, you don't you don't really understand it unless you see it and experience it. And, uh, you know, I think that like we as a country have to decide who are we? What do we value? Um, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, are we, do we want to be like China? You know, I mean, cause like there's this whole thing with globalization where it's like people work more and that's how it is in a lot in China. That's how it is in Russia you know, with the oligarchy and that's how it's becoming in America. And, um, and do we want to live that way? You know, uh, where, you know, wage growth continues to be stagnant for people in the middle class um, and the CEOs continue to make more, get more stock buybacks. And, and, uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, that things like NAFTA have kind of let globalization run amok. Uh, and um, we, we, we're not thinking enough about what really matters in life, you know. Is it, um, and what makes this country great? Uh, is it just about the money? Or is there some value in, you know, having stable family, you know, people uh, being able to uh, support their kids so that their kids, you know, when you look at, I was thinking about this the other day, when you look at Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, a lot of our great innovators, they came from middle class families um, that were stable, that uh, were able to give them the freedom to explore, you know, uh, and experiment and learn about computers and then innovate, you know. Um, but you can only do that in an environment where, 
you know, your parents uh, and are, you know, have jobs and, and you, you have a stable family and you have time and freedom to think. Uh, and I think we're losing that. I, I do think that trade agreements like NAFTA have made it more difficult for blue collar families to live a decent life. Um, and I think that when you think about the promise, like what what is the American dream? I, I don't think it's like I don't think the American dream was ever supposed to be like, you know, uh, trying to become a celebrity. Like, I don't think that was ever the American dream. I think it was really just about having a, a, a solid, you know, a family, a, a, a life that you can enjoy and share uh, with your kids, you know, and, 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 and hope for the next generation, you know. And, and I think that when we're just blindly competing uh, with other countries and just getting so caught up in the money, um, instead of caring about people, I, I think it really hurts our way of life, and I think it really hurts. Uh, I think it really hurts what this country is supposed to be about. And I, I just don't think we are going to be able to have people who innovate, come up with new ideas, if if we're all just so busy working all the time. So, yeah, and you know, also an, another dynamic to this plant closing, and you know, continuing. Uh, economic um, frustrations within the Northeast Ohio area is mental health is a very big cons- concern. And right now we're in a pandemic with the coronavirus. You know, can you talk a little bit about also, you know, how the coronavirus has really impacted the Mahoney Valley? Uh, and I know there have been some some figures that have come out saying that 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 area has been some of the hardest hit areas uh, in the state of Ohio. You know, I think when you look at a lot of these, um, you know, like like uh, black communities that have been hit hard, and uh, um, I think I think we'll probably find that a lot of it is somewhat related to economics and uh, not having healthcare. Uh, and um, you know, I, I think that I think that the pandemic is a is. I think what we're seeing is you know before the pandemic, a lot of these middle class communities were already kind of stripped to uh, the bare minimum uh, and didn't have that much support um, because a lot of corporations, General Motors, Amazon, have really found new ways to get tax abatements and not give back to communities and and take away people's health care. And uh, I think that, you know, as a result, when this pandemic hit, we were not, you know, um, we were not ready for it. Uh, and, you know, some of that was you know, we didn't have the best leader in, as, as a president, I don't think. But uh, at the same time, you know, a lot of these uh, nursing homes and places have really been underfunded. Uh, and uh, uh, because the CEOs were just looking at numbers, a lot of people in, in the business world were just really looking at numbers and not thinking enough about people. So that when something like this happened, you know, the middle class was already kind of close to falling off the edge and this just pushed them off. Um, So I think that might have something to do with why the coronavirus is hitting America, not just the Valley, but our entire country uh, from a health perspective and also an economic perspective. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's a whole nother conversation that we could take up another uh, half an hour. Uh, (laughs) But I'm curious right now, um, you know, you were scheduled to release the film at the Cleveland Film Festival right before the pandemic hit. Um, Have you come up with a new release date? And where can our listeners 
find more information about the film uh, and the trailer for Bring It Home? Yeah, so you can, um, if you want to find out more information about the film, you go to bringithomefilm.com, sign up for, uh, you can watch the trailer and then sign up uh, for our email list and we'll keep you updated about when the uh, film is going to be screening. Um, right now, I, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when it's going to be screening. We, we're really looking forward to the Cleveland Film Festival in, in uh, April, but, you know, it got canceled. So I've been just kind of like finishing the movie, um, still tweaking it. And uh, right now I'm at a point where I'm, you know, starting to think about, okay, where, where is it going to screen? So I'm hoping that it'll screen before the election uh, sometime like in October. That's, that would be ideal. I, I mean, it's, it's not a political film, but I think that it's important that people understand the Midwest and blue collar people going into this election and what they have had to go through. So I'm hoping it'll come out sometime then and I'll keep people updated, whether that's at a festival or streaming or broadcasted. Um, so that's still very much in the air. Uh, but if you, if you go to bringithomefilm.com, sign up on our email list, we'll, we'll you know, keep you updated for sure. Well, Carl, thanks so much for joining me on Uncommon Democracy. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see the film come out. Uh, I'm really excited to see uh, what people think about it. And I really love that you're bringing light to uh, an issue that um, as you mentioned, you know, some people on the coast have really forgotten. Uh, obviously, it's it's one thing to read about uh, the the plight that these families are going through through an article, but it's definitely going to be very different to see uh, a movie and see um, the the issues uh, that globalization uh, uh, are bringing to the Mahoney Valley and Northeast Ohio. Um, Anything else that uh, you can tell us about the film or anything else that uh, we should know before we uh, uh, we let you go today? No, no, this is great. Thanks for what you're doing, Phil. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Carl. If you know someone who should be featured on an upcoming show, email us at uncommondemocracy at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening to Uncommon Democracy.